sharing is caring. (laughs) Or is it? At least that's what I've heard people say. But getting toddlers to share can be a very interesting adventure. This week on the podcast, we'll talk to a mom in Wisconsin who has two toddlers that just can't seem to share. She's at her wit's end. Will it ever stop? Well, we've got some good news and tactics that you can use with your toddlers in helping them to share or not to share. Then, what about sharing rooms? Alyssa in Florida has a two-year-old and a four-year-old that share a room, and mornings have become a major issue. Can they successfully share a room and learn to figure it out? Oh, stay tuned. I'm Laura. And I'm Jennifer. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast. We are so glad you're here, and we always want to remind you that the best decision is the one you make. Whoever said babies and toddlers don't come with an instruction manual never met the moms on call. For nearly 20 years, Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter have helped over half a million families navigate parenthood with their best-selling books, online courses, apps, and network of certified consultants. And now they have this podcast to talk directly with you. Ask your questions at 888-234-7979. Welcome to the Moms on Call podcast with Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter. Hi, Moms on Call. This is Stephanie from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, I have three kids, one who just turned three, um, an almost two-year-old, and... Uh, I'm almost seven months old. So yes, I did have three under three at one point and it is crazy. But your guys' techniques and books and methods have helped me keep grace in the chaos. (laughs) Um, But my question today is about um, sharing. My three and two-year-old are very close in age and they just can't seem to share together. And I've just I'm at my wit's end and I don't know what to do. I've heard conflicting advice about, you know, how kids that age just can't share. Um, So I just want to see your guys' take, though. I just figured I'd ask about sharing. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Jennifer, I love your perspective on this sharing with toddlers because I'm sorry. It's hard to reason with a two and three-year-old and how to share. So I love, love, love how you talk to parents, because we all go through this. You've been through it. I've been through it. Uh, we've all been there, and I love your perspective. On well, that. we both have a set of twins. Oh so yes, you talk about them being close in age. Yeah, they were all sharing the same type of toys at the same time. So I want to play a little scenario with you. And when your friends come over to your house, do they get access to all your stuff? So I don't have to share with everybody. I'm just saying. <laughs> Now, I would. If Laura fit in any of my stuff, she is tall and lanky and fantastically different shaped, a different type of beautiful than I am. And so, but she could absolutely have access. But I don't have to share everything I have with everybody that walks in the door. I don't have to share everything with my sister. And so sometimes it is okay 
as kids are reaching this age and as they're studying personal ownership to give them something that really is theirs. So it doesn't feel like a free-for-all that everybody just gets access to all your stuff all the time. That's really not reasonable. When you say that's, you know, just toddlers can't share, oh, they can. But we also want to teach them the responsibility of personal ownership and they're feeling that draw. So there can be a few things that they have that's just their own. And I would suggest maybe getting one or two things that for each one of them is just their own. It will help immensely. And then the other thing is that if it's causing a fuss, it goes away. So if you're both fighting over the blocks, the blocks aren't worth the fight. So you can take them as a mom, just away from the situation altogether. And eventually, if we're super confident in doing that, what they will do is start to self-regulate because they'll recognize that it's not going to anyone. But I don't necessarily want you to always have to be interacting with, I'm sorry, say you're sorry, you know, just say, oh, this is not worth the fight. And out it goes. And so they may not like that intervention, which is exactly what we're looking for. In order for a technique like this to be effective, they kind of have to not like it so much. And it's a really great way just to help them take responsibility for what's happening. And I love that. I love that we can give them an opportunity to work it out, right? We don't have to step in right right at that first second. Give them give them a chance. And I love how it's we're not going to sit here and explain. However, later mm-hmm. we can come back and kind of do that hug moment. Hug yeah. moments can happen throughout the day, right? Where we say, "Oh, remember well, if we can't play nicely or whatever those words are, I take it away. And so that you can start to put that on their radar. But I also love, 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 love when we as parents are confident in what our kids can do. Oh my gosh, Jason's going to be so great at sharing his toys. And you're telling dad or grandma how great Jason's going to be at sharing his toys with little Richie. I loved what you said about the hug moment. And so what I think about is as they grow up, when we teach them at this age that the toy's not worth the fight, at someday it's going to be in that boy's not worth the fight <laughs> and that friend's not worth the fight. And so there's nothing that's worth the fight with your sibling. And so, you know, I really feel like we're setting a stage in order to prioritize relationship. And so it's another really beautiful thing that's happening in these interactions. I had three boys in one room and their room also had some toys. We had like a little area that had most of their blocks and that kind of thing. But in their room, there were a few things and I can, so it was the twins and then little handsome and little handsome's 18 months younger than the twins. And I guess Brent was probably two years old. So that would have put the boys somewhere right around that close to four-ish mark. And Brent, of course, thought he was the triplet, right? He, you know, <laughs> and the twins, of course, knew he wasn't. And and I can remember them being in their room. And I want to say it was either a book or, or a truck or something. And I mean, you would have thought World War II had happened in that room. 
And I can remember walking down that hallway, that long hallway, trying to stay calm, right? Because it's pro- it was probably towards the end of the day. I'm exhausted by that point. And trying to stay calm, walking in and grabbing that truck and turning around. I didn't explain. I didn't stop. I grabbed the truck, walked out, and I think I took the truck to, to my closet. And, you know, the boys are like, what in, like, what just happened? I don't even think they realized. Immediate silence. It was immediate <laughs> silence. And, you know, but it did. It gave me the opportunity to be able to say, if we're going to fight over things, they're out. It's just not worth it. Did you know that there's more to the walk to end Alzheimer's than just walking? The Alzheimer's Association invites you to join our movement towards a brighter future for all those affected by Alzheimer's. With events in more than 600 communities nationwide, the Walk to End Alzheimer's is the world's largest event to raise awareness and funds for Alzheimer's care, support, and research. We walk for the 150,000 people in Georgia living with the disease and the nearly 350,000 friends and family members taking care of their loved ones every single day. We're closer than ever to stopping Alzheimer's, but to get there, we need you. And if you live here in Georgia, Where we live, the walk to end Alzheimer's is in 20 cities around the state this fall. In fact, we're walking in Atlanta on November 4th at the Battery at Truist Park, and we would love to have you join us. And if you're not in Georgia, there are events in your community too. To register and get involved with a walk near you, head to alz.org backslash walk and do it today. Join the walk to end Alzheimer's and help us make a brighter future for all those affected by Alzheimer's. Make a difference today at alz.org backslash walk. Hey, Laura, how many hours do you think infants spend in their crib every day? Oh, gosh. At least 12, At least probably 12. 14 to 15. Yes. That's a lot of time. It is. So you think you want to be comfortable there? I mean, wouldn't you agree? I'm a little jealous. Really? Because we were talking to one of the girls who was able to test the Moms on Call Colgate crib mattress. It's the Sleep and Grow. And her comment was... I want to curl myself up small enough to be able to lay on this mattress. It is so comfortable. It is so comfortable. And I love the way that we chose to do it. We chose and designed it specifically the way we wanted it done, right? So it's so cute. Yes. And it is firm on one side for that newborn, but then you can flip it over. It grows with your furniture and your baby. Oh my gosh. That's just the best. But it's not only comfortable, although I feel like comfort, if you're going to be there more than 12 hours a day, it's pretty essential. It also really supports healthy growth and development. It's a waterproof. It cleans up. Waterproof. Who are we kidding? You know, fluids (laughs) come out of babies. Everywhere. Yeah. So (laughs) it's quote unquote waterproof, safe, eco-friendly, 
Like they just told us that we could shoot for the moon. So we did. And we, we so did. And we had yeah. so much fun doing that. And it's, it's packed with 5.5 inches of eco-friendly or foam. And it's made with sustainable plant oils. That was super important to us. It was. Well, and also the fire retardant capabilities, you know, sometimes we worry about those things that we put on them, but this barrier is safe for baby. So yeah, so it's flame retardant. It is eco-friendly. It's breathable. We, we thought of everything that we could think of, but most important, it's comfortable and available. So go check out the Mom's On Call Sleeping Grow Mattress that we partnered with Colgate for at MomsOnCall.com. Hey guys, my name is Alyssa. I am from Florida. I have a question about sharing a room. I currently have an almost two-year-old who is more of a social design and then a just-turned-four-year-old who is a rule follower. Um, for the most part, they sleep well together, except in the morning, as soon as that almost two-year-old wakes up, he just starts um, screaming. He doesn't talk just yet, but he'll make a ton of noise to try to get attention of my four-year-old. And um, my four-year-old will just start crying and saying that he needs help and he needs somebody to come get the baby. And it typically starts the day off um, with everybody being a little frazzled and they're Senses just being on high alert. So we're trying not to save the quiet one, uh, but we're not sure exactly how to help the two-year-old to know not to scream because he does understand, but he isn't really verbal yet. So um, it's hard to incorporate different rules with him. So trying to decide how to help the four-year-old and how to help the two-year-old just know to be mindful of one another. Thank you, guys. Oh, my goodness. This call probably could have, I could have, I could have called in. <laughs> I could have called myself. You said, Hello, you're on the air. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, because we did, I had three boys in one room and, and they were on a little bit of a different routine in the very beginning. Right. And then of course they kind of all, we started the day at my house at 7 a.m., not 6.30, not 8 o'clock. We started the day at seven o'clock and, and the crazy thing is they figured it out. Ooh, I love it. What did you say? They figured it out. Wait, what? They figured it out. Ooh. So yes, you are on the right track. I love how many moms on call principles oh. you have even mentioned in this. It is so thrilling to think that these things are helping you and helping you understand what their motivators and causes of this are. So we're just going to refine that a little bit. You said some very intuitive parenting things like, I want to help the two-year-old, but I can't. They don't understand yet. You are exactly right. We're not going to have some magical way to convince a two-year-old who is social not to wake up and just want automatic people, attention. Yes. People! I they want, want people. people! But... This really rests on your incredibly capable rule-following four-year-old. And the oldest kids are so often those rule-followers. And they're great at helping other people also follow the rules, which is wonderful. But what we want to do is equip the four-year-old not to call for help with the baby. Now, is it frustrating? Yeah, little brothers make a lot of noise. <laughs> those, these kids are noisy. That's frustrating. You can just roll over and go back to sleep. You can give them words to say, 
But basically, Laura, what did you say? They'll figure it out. What was it? They'll figure it out. And that rule follower, especially depending on what the second was, and I'm imagining probably engineer, that rule follower is going to want to figure it out, especially if the rule is that the door doesn't open until the your designated time. Yeah. Right. Sun and comes up, seven o'clock, whatever it is. We're not just because somebody makes noise. We're not coming out early. That's the rule. And you will figure it out. And, you know, you could, there's a couple of things you can, practical things that you can try. You can try to have a good night light, a light that comes on so that you can start to tell the two-year-old. I I know that you said the two-year-old wasn't super verbal, but they know exactly what you're saying. And so you can say, "We we get up when the sun comes up so that if they can start to associate, oh, that clock shines bright, that's when mom opens the door, dad opens the door. They'll start to kind of understand that. And at two years old, you could also have a little soft book or something like that that they can grab as well. Well, and if it has faces on it, that's always going to be great for a social kid. But Lori, you really have a really great point here. And typically what happens is because we're saving the quiet one, if the younger one makes noise, he gets what he wants. He gets people. You do come in. So that noise gets in people every time. So what we want to do is we want to be just really committed to the door opening at a specific time each day, the time that you've designated that's right for your household, somewhere around 7 a.m. And let it be the same time every day, no matter what. And in about two weeks, when that is no longer working, when it is no longer bringing additional engagement immediate engagement into the bedroom, then you'll find that not only does this two-year-old have a little interior inner clock that knows when it's seven, the lights and the special type of um, clocks that they have are super helpful, but that child has an inner clock that will go off every day at seven o'clock when you open the door, regardless of what we have in there. I love those. When she said good night light, one's called a good night light. There's other varieties of that where you can set like a little sunshine to actually start to glow at a certain hour. Fantastic. But just know, no matter what resources you have, that child has that inner clock inside of them. And so if you'll do the same thing predictably and not give that engagement because we're really reinforcing that negative behavior, if we come in, we're saying, A, the four-year-old can't do it, and B, the two-year-old gets people if they yell. And and those aren't the things that really, as, as a parent, we're trying to to place inside their heart. So I know it's no fun. There's going to be loud mornings and your older one's going to want to engage you with that. The night before you tell the older one, you're going to be great at rolling over and going right back to sleep if your brother wakes up early. So what's the rule? The rule is we don't open the door until 7 a.m. And so that rule follower, here's where knowing their design is so helpful. That rule follower is going to want to follow the rules. They're going to want to help make that environment follow the rules. And so it's really helpful for both of them. It tells the rule follower they can. And they'll figure it out. And and one more thing. 
See, we could just keep going <laughs> just on one, and on. Like, yeah, but yeah. one, one more thing, one more thing is mom and dad, you know, whoever is going into that room and opening that door at seven o'clock, we don't need to have squish face and be all upset because I know that you mentioned everybody just wakes up on the wrong side of the bed, right? You guys get to dictate the atmosphere. So when that door opens, mm, come I on. want your face to be happy and smiling, have a song that you sing, open the blinds, do a little shaky shake, whatever that is so that the kids start to realize, oh, wait, this is fun. And this is a great way to start the day. And yes, they can figure it Thank you for listening to the Moms on Call podcast. If you have a question for Jennifer and Laura, call 888-234-7979. Visit momsoncall.com for resources to help you parent with confidence and thrive, not just survive your amazing parenting journey. 